to episode 108 of the Customer Support Leaders podcast. I'm Charlotte Ward. Today, I welcome back Chris Taylor for a fireside chat. I'd like to welcome back to the podcast today, Chris Taylor. Chris, welcome back. You're joining me today for a fireside, and I believe you don't have one in the room or even the building that you're in, but you are doing me the grace of moving to a building with a fireside very soon, right? This is correct, yeah. I mean, I live in this old Victorian flat block right now, so there was a fireplace, but it's not in my house. Um, And yeah, the new one I'm moving to, it's blocked up, but I can make it work, you know, put a fake fire in there or something. Awesome. We'll, we'll come back for another fire and another actual fireside at some point <laughs> next to that one. Um, so with my fireside guests, they bring a topic to talk about. And I think you've got something you want to talk about today, right? Yeah. So I think we can talk about planning for scale, um, what metrics you use, what numbers you look at, how I sort of approach it, that type of thing would be a good one. That'd be awesome. Scaling is always difficult. So how how early stage do you want to begin? Where where should we start? Should we start at the very beginning? Yeah, I guess. So I, I'll explain a bit about where we're at in the business I work in now. So I work for Tyke. Um, we're an API management company and we're in our scale-up phase. So growing out of being a little startup with 20 people, we've now got to 70 staff. And I think by the end of next year, we'll go and well, we'll be at about 200 uh, people in the business, which is really awesome. Um Customer service, luckily, is one of the more predictable areas, in my opinion, that means it's slightly easier to scale. So I'll I'll go back into my history a little bit. I worked at a big call center. Um, I used to have to plan and manage headcounts. And every year you have to refresh your budget to scale up or scale down. Um, And and what do you predict that on? How do you you, uh, forecast it? So... In that environment, it was quite simple. We had marketing got sent out on certain dates. We knew when our peaks would be. We knew when we would have lulls. We could reasonably predict out of what marketing went out, how many people would call in and convert. And then we knew roughly how long those calls would take. So using all of that data, you can go the amount of calls times by how long they take. That gives you a figure in hours. And you cut that down to say, I need this amount of people at these times of day. But you might say you need, so the the example we used to get a lot was the first two days of our peak season, it would say we need 150 people. We've got a maximum staff of like, I want to say about 75 people. Um, So on those days where you're really over, what do you do with your staffing? You bank hours and get people to work them back. You give out overtime and stuff. Mm -hmm. But the initial part of planning for scale is how many people do I need when what contracts do we need them on, blah, blah, blah. Um, so that's kind of the call centre experience, yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of variables there, isn't there? You described the seasonality and and actually just dealing with the people side of this as well. Something you touched on was scheduling around that because you mm. can you can plan all you want with lines on a spreadsheet, but if people can't work the hours you need them to work when you need them to work them, when you know when they're on your payroll to to deal with this that seasonality and I'm, I'm aware we're stress, straying a little bit into seasonality here but mm. let's go with it for now um that that actually coping with seasonality as a as a as a pattern in your business is hard and it's a it's potentially a, a sort of small 
um, almost a microcosm of what you experience as you scale up organizationally at a fast mm. rate as well, isn't it? I would always recommend to look at the seasonality. There's this concept called volatility, which is from your average customer service baseline, how what percentage up or down versus that can you go? And that's how volatile your demand is. So in, in travel, you've got two big buying seasons a year, which last about three weeks each. And you know, in those times, you're going to be hammered. Um, so yeah, and, and like you say, the scheduling is a massive part of it, moving people's hours around. but in terms of managing agents and speaking and dealing with people on that front, it's a back scratching exercise, really. That's what I find about working in support. I used to plan and shift all these people. Um, and it's very much, I'll do you a favor. You do me one back. I'll give you a month off in the winter. So you can go mm-hmm. on a big holiday and you can come work 40 hours a week for me in the peak season, you know? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and, you know, similarly, I mean, again, straying into another kind of scheduling commonality and support, <laughs> just shuffling people around, getting people who are willing to make personal swaps to adjust for personal circumstances as well is another aspect to that, isn't it? Just really shift by shift, almost managing it. Um, so, so let's get back to the, the scaling up then. Dealing with seasonality is the first part of that because being able to forecast for seasonality is is a big stage to being able to forecast for the future, I think. Mm. Um, although it's more volatile, it comes and goes much quicker. It gives you a bit of practice in the forecasting spreadsheet and you can mm. start to actually, I guess, use it to m- build a sense of accuracy of your model in terms of forecasting, right? Yeah. So what happens next then? If, as, as you scale up for organizationally and you know that, I guess, first of all, we're looking at sales pipeline. We know how many customers we're going to get. We know because we know our forecasting model works roughly, what that Mm -hmm. translates to in terms of potential support load, right? Um, Is there anything there that you think is worth bearing in mind or or what comes next? Yeah, so I'm kind of right in the middle of this process right now. Um, And the way I'm handling it and approaching it is, first of all, I get my baseline forecast. I look at what how many customers do we have now? Um, what products do they use? I split them, segment them like that. I segment them by where in the world they are, um, how much they're spending with us, whether they've bought an SLA or not. And that gives me a good few profiles to sort of play with. Um, then I will try and build up some sort of profile of what these customers look like when they raise a ticket, what's their journey. So if a customer in their year-long contract raises I don't know, 20 tickets, uh, 50 tickets. When do they raise them? So they're onboarding in the first three months Do 50% of their tickets come in there. That's a really useful bit of information to have because if I look and see, oh, look, in November, we've got 10 deals signed and that means we're going to get an extra 300 tickets. I know recruitment needed there, overtime, support, overflow, whatever we need to use. So that would always be my first port of call is trying to build out some kind of profile of your customers, how your tickets come in. And then working with commercial teams is absolutely key. So I have monthly, sometimes fortnightly calls with our commercial teams. I'm looking at their pipelines, what's coming up, what's the value of the deals, um, what type of deployments are these customers using, what skill level do they have, what region are they in. These are all factors that implement uh, affect the amount of work coming. And then versus that, sales pipeline i can roughly forecast now the problem you can sort of get are not every ticket you get is going to be exactly the same in fact a lot of people can roughly categorize 
like uh, for us, I might say it's component based. So we've got a gateway, a dashboard and these type of things. Mm. And you can get a lot more technical complexity, which means your resolution times can vary wildly. They can also vary by the member of staff or the region. So building in a, a really good average is something that's super important there as well. Yeah, yeah. I'm so comforted by everything you're saying because I did this exact exercise about two months ago. I went back and looked at the last year's worth of deals. So mm. I'm I'm in a new role right now and there's been no historic um, support forecasting done and we're scaling yeah. up as well. And it's exactly the process you de- describe. It's go back, look at the last year's worth of deals, build a spreadsheet, look at month by month when those customers raised tickets and what the behaviors were around when they signed and you know before and after and depending mm. on your product there could be load before and after right so and then um you touched on something else there which is that not all tickets are creating created equal and there are so many mm. variables and i think our software product much like your your software product much like your offering is a pretty complex one mm. um and that does make this a really i think you have to be really comfortable with inaccurate data yeah because right yeah i recognize the chuckle this is as good as it's gonna get right now <laughs> that's for sure. so the number of time number of times a week i hear myself say that this is what we've got right now and it will refine as we you know basically test it for mm-hmm. accuracy right going forward and i think that that's that's what you have to do you you have those frequent meetings because you're probably constantly adjusting as well yeah absolutely and you know what you make a really good point because not everyone would scale the same. There's not a uniform um, kind of pattern to it. I think where we are in very technical environments, some tactics won't work. So our users, for example, mine are very much back-end, super, super intelligent developers. They really know what they're doing. So the guys in my team are that as well. They are way more technically adept than me. Um, very, very ditto, good. Ditto. <laughs> yeah, for, right? But that's the point. You need quality, quality stuff. But anyway, um, so they scale differently. And the thing about a technical product like this is what we tactics we might deploy while we're scaling up, like reduction in like ticket deflection strategy, probably isn't going to work as well as in a holidays call center or something like that, you know. So that's another aspect to consider in scale. You, one really th- good thing I like to measure is how efficient we are. So mm. if my customer baseline is this and it grows by 50%, but my tickets grow by 75%, then we've got an inefficiency somewhere. Where is that? Um, trying to figure that out. But yeah, I think once you've got those baseline numbers, us in a technical environment, we might try and deploy some self-service strategies. We might improve our knowledge bases, but I think it will be less effective overall. And in a business-to-business environment, part of your scale plan needs to be relationship management, the success side Mm. of it as well. Yeah, very Um, true. Very true. Um, What you just said there about, um, you know, our technology scaling different from other industries is super important. And uh, I think that Although you think as a support leader, um, I know how to forecast. I've done it before. <laughs> you have to kind of get comfortable with the fact that it's the volume. Not only are the volumes different, the customer behaviors are different. The work patterns are different. Um, and, and, you know, the work comes in in a different way as well. And all of these things have to be taken into account. And we're not just talking about average handle times. We're talking about figuring out what your channels are and everything you just said about 
and self-service as well. The other thing I think is um, perhaps important in a scale-up is that the volume of data is different as well compared to those big call center environments, even if the big call centers are scaling. I think they they have enough of a, a sample to be able to scale much more, to be able to forecast much more predictably. I think, yeah. you know, where certainly my customer base right now is, you know, the customer behaviors in terms of ticket numbers aren't that great because tickets are complex and long running. So that actually means the amount of data points that I have to forecast from are quite low. So mm. there, there is an inherent inaccuracy there because, because of all of the other influences on those tickets that you just said, you know, the complexity and like how, how one ticket can be very different from the next. Yeah. Actually, all of these variables make that data quite clunky, quite sort of chunky, don't they? Yeah, and I've got similar problems. So like my resolution times, I, I can barely get a handle on it because they're so wide range and there's so many different types of query. But it's one of those things where you just have to kind of use some intuition and, and your and your your gut and what you know from what's happened before um, and your knowledge of the business the industry. And one really other point I would put into this is aligning yourself to the business strategy. So it shouldn't just be support working in isolation, that's where you bring in the commercial team to tell you what their pipeline looks like. But if you can go a further level up and say, okay, so our pipeline looks like this right now, what does it look like in two years' time? Um, working with commercial leaders to say, okay, in two years, if we're going to have this many customers, we're going to have this many tickets, these many issues, so we need this many people, we need to deploy these type of strategies. And I think mm-hmm. that's super important as well. Yeah. yeah, yeah. One thing I'm doing now on that front is is meeting regularly with finance and mm. just just working through like long-term projections we have almost what we call a we've put a figure to it and called it our ambition plan you know if growth yeah. if, if growth goes this way um if we scale in this way if our if we hit our targets in this way what could that look like a year and a half from now because that when volumes are low is quite interesting and particularly mm. again i know we're going to touch on this a lot i feel particularly with complex products and services like yours yeah. and mine the lead time on getting good engineers is really long when i six joined months. yeah when i joined yeah. this company it was apocryphally 6 months i can now shoehorn that down to four like i can mm. get so i can get some like early level one work covered by about two months <laughs> just to give you a baseline i'm getting realistically realistic independence is six months you know yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Um, and i think that, that that's just really hard to you're working with a very few data points on data that's very chunky with very long, long lead times on staffing for that model um I mean, it sounds like scary territory, but clearly you and I are kind of doing it. And I hope at least one of us is doing it successfully. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think I think you touch on something interesting, though, and that's that we're probably divergent in our strategy there slightly. So where Snowplow are looking at if this happens, we can do this. We're working on the assumption that this is going to happen. So make a plan for it. Right. So my recruitment and hiring and stuff will follow whatever our strategic plan is, because we are pretty confident we're going to hit that um so that's just yeah yeah i I think uh, yeah maybe that maybe the spin i put on that (laughs) slightly slightly more conservative yeah we're slightly more conservative than yeah i mean it's it's we we are definitely on that trajectory but you know you, you always have to have a sort of kind of 
uh, I guess it's almost a contingency and like what if we go above that and what if we go below that and then this is the actual target and you aim and you aim for the target you know but but I guess what I'm saying is that actually even even the best financial and commercial wizards out there can't really strategically plan accurately no. Two, two years out that particularly in this business and in these times right so you have yeah, to kind of sure. call you have to kind of call it a target or an ambition you kind of you, you're definitely working towards that strategically and that and that includes mm. within support you have to because of those lead times right but um but i guess the point i'm making is it's because of that long lead time you have to get comfortable with the what ifs in that scenario mm. right and that's the thing in support you have to just be comfortable being uncomfortable right like the whole the whole industry as a whole it, it's an unpredictable role you don't have control over when customers are talking to you so that's an instant level of unpredictability and you've just got to kind of roll with it but what you can do is just make yourself as informed as you possibly can get yeah. all the data points you can learn as much as you can about the business direction and strategy and the one last point i guess i'd put on this is don't forget your people while you scale because suddenly if my team is like two people right now and they're both great, if I get to 10 and I'm not catching up with them as frequently and I start to drop the ball on their professional development and personal development and stuff, then that will have a negative impact on all of that data that you spent time building up and your resolution times and mm. it could affect performance. So my last point would be make sure you bring your team with you when you scale, make it a collaborative mm. process. Yeah, yeah. Can. Very true. Very true. Um, I must admit, I'm a bit guilty of kind of whooshing off down the down the corridor yeah. with a spreadsheet. You know, it's easily done when you get when you feel like things are coming together, and and you do have to stop and uh, take stock every now and then, and say, you know what, I, I just need to tell you the, these are this is kind of what I've. You know, it's almost like presenting your own internal mm. vision for support, isn't it? It's like get them excited about the data as well because the data is what empowers them and empowers you as a team to succeed right and uh, I think just being able to say you know what I'm sorry I've had my head stuck in a a google sheet Mm. for three weeks and you haven't seen much of me but I think I've got this figured out what do you think and you know can you tell me you know about this and I've looked at this and can you tell you know it's it's, it Mm. starts conversations with them as well actually which I think is kind of important it's important to show them the output of your own work, right? You can see, like, we can see our engineers' output instantly. We can, yeah. we can see that. And it's important to show them we're working as equally hard as them. But, yeah, I like to do the same kind of thing, take them through a, a, a data sheet or a pack or something and say, here's what I'm thinking. What do you think? Get comments all over it. Refine, mm. refine, get them bought into it. Mm. And that really helps as well. Because um, mm. you've got to bring the team with you when you scale or pain down the road, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, that uh, that thing you were describing there about you know um, taking your team with you, uh, as as I just said, kind of I do have this propensity to get my head in a spreadsheet, and I'll just give you an example of that. I woke up this uh, this morning at quarter to five in what I can only describe as a data sweat. <laughs> I had this. <laughs> I sat bolt upright in bed and I just had one of those kind of <gasps> moments <laughs> mm. where something fell into my into place in my head while I was asleep uh, to do with my forecast, to do with this spreadsheet that I've had in my head in for four months now on and off. Um, and I just realized two numbers could relate to each other in a different way. 
<laughs> and it was a real aha moment. But um, I think just sharing kind of those little stories as well with your team is another way to kind of tell them, you know, uh, just de- just demonstrate to them that you are invested in this and, you know, that, um, that like you said, showing them the output of all of those little aha, little aha moments, whether they come at two o'clock on a Tuesday afternoon or quarter to five in the morning. <laughs> I mean, it's a, such a good feeling though, isn't it? When you crack something like that. Yeah. Like that's yeah. one of my favorite things is when I've been buried in a spreadsheet for months and then it just comes to you overnight. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I can't tell if that's a good thing or a waste of four months with your head buried in it. I haven't quite decided that yet or whether Never one is necessary. For, yeah. I don't know whether one is necessary for the other. Maybe you have to bury yourself in the spreadsheet to get the aha moment. I just wish, I just wish it wasn't that painful. You'll have learned a lot of stuff while being buried in that spreadsheet as well. So there's definitely benefit to doing that too. Yeah. But you're spot on. Little things like that, little anecdotes you can share with the team. Anything to just bring them into the process of your strategic and scale direction is, mm. is a great move. Yeah. And definitely sharing the output, as you said, um, all of the conversations that that sheet sparks and some really interesting insights, because as we alluded to before, neither you nor I are as technically competent as our teams. And mm. as much as we might get them to talk us through stuff or try and understand stuff, there's not a hope in hell I really understand what they're doing. Um, mm. they're just, there just isn't, you know. <laughs> I mean, I can sit and watch them and have them explain to me, yes, this, these kind of pages of code that are whizzing past represent this, and I just do this, this, click here, paste that, duh, 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 job done. Mm. And I, I was like, I was here in, like, I was present in the moment, but somewhere in there you entirely lost me so I don't you know I don't actually understand the implications of everything you just did but um so when you get lost in those moments I think being able to have those conversations sparked by spreadsheets about the work is just another way of getting informed as well particularly when the work is very varied as yours and mine both seem to be yeah. And when you're not the most technically competent person, it's important as well, just as a side note, to be really upfront with that. So my team and your team, I expect, know that we are we are the customer support people. We know how to manage customer operations. We know what metrics we need to look at, performance we need to track, blah, blah, blah. And we know how to scale that. Mm. What we're not good at is troubleshooting a highly technical product with five different programming languages and stuff like that in it. So if your team understands that and they know what you bring to the table alongside what they're bringing to the table, it just makes for good synergy. I think. I think it really does. And I think actually it makes for a, yeah, it fosters a great deal of understanding because if I say I haven't a clue what you just did, they're mm. very, they're, they're super patient because they're support people but at the end of the day. Yeah, they're, yeah. they're super patient and willing to talk me through stuff. So uh, it, it's a learning experience all around, I think. And that's support people are great, right? Yeah, they are. we're the the best we're the best (laughs) awesome all right thanks so much chris lovely to catch up with you that's it for today go to customersupportleaders.com forward slash 108 for the show notes and i'll see you next time